I'm pleased to be with you this morning, grateful for the invitation of your pastor and your elders to be with you this morning to share in the things of Christ and in the Word of God. As it said in the bulletin, where I'm a native upstate New Yorker and uh, did my graduate work out in the Midwest and stayed in Iowa and Illinois for a few years and then came back to New York State and stayed there through the rest of uh, my ministry, retiring some three years ago, coming down to uh, Bristol, Tennessee, and uh, finding a place where we really feel at home and uh, love the people and love the churches, and uh, I'm enjoying my retirement, uh, although I don't retire, it seems, very much on the weekend. Uh, I find myself in various and sundry pulpits, and I'm delighted to be with all of you this morning and to uh, share with you uh, the Word of God as the Spirit reveals it to us. I'd like us to turn in our Bibles this morning. There are two passages of Scripture I would like us to look at. The first one is in Genesis, from the third chapter and reading through the 13th verse. And the second reading will be from the book of James, as we will read from the first chapter beginning with the twelfth verse. Let us first hear the word of God as we find it recorded in the book of Genesis, chapter 3, the first thirteen verses. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now the serpent was more subtle than any other wild creature that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God say you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not die, for God knows that when you eat of it your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, and he ate. Excuse me. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of thee in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I ate. Let's turn now to the New Testament reading. The book of James, reading from chapter 1, beginning with verse 12, these words of God. Blessed is the man who endures trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading and the hearing of his holy word. Let us bow for a moment of prayer. 
Father, as we have heard your holy and inspired word, we pray now that your Holy Spirit might work in our hearts and our minds, that he would open to us the truth contained herein, and that he would write it upon our hearts, that we might not only hear it in this place, but carry it forth following the service and live it in the world around us. We pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. I occasionally like to watch cartoons on television. And one of the cartoons we often see, somebody is facing temptation. There's a little devil sitting on one shoulder whispering into one ear, and a little angel sitting on the other shoulder whispering into the other ear. And the problem is that the person is facing some temptation. He's tempted to do something that is wrong. And he's struggling with what he's going to decide to do about it. Now, as amusing as it is, it contains a great deal of truth. Temptation is a fact of life. And temptation is something that we face every day of our lives and about which we must make decisions every day of our life. Now, our Lord said that temptations were sure to come, but woe to those by whom they came. And in fact, our Lord, even as he began his ministry, you will recall, was taken forth by the devil and tempted before he even began his ministry. And scripture is clear that each one of us are going to face temptation. That we live in the world, and in that world there's going to come all kinds of temptations to us every day of our lives. And we have to make decisions about it. We have to do something when those temptations come to us. A few years ago, a man named Jeffrey Tim wrote an article in one of the religious journals in which he traced the progression of temptation, and he tried to identify the steps in a way that we would remember by labeling each step with the letter D. And it seemed to me that that was a pretty good way of thinking about facing our temptations. So I would like us this morning to think about the progression of temptation and do so with this letter D describing each step along the way that temptation leads us ultimately to sin. And the first D, the first thing I would have us think about this morning, is deception. Satan and sin deceive us. They're not what they look like and they are not what they present themselves to be. Satan deceived Eve. He presented to her some images and some things that were not true. He deceived her. And that kind of deception continued through the years. Paul writes in Romans 7:11 that sin had deceived him. There is a deception that takes place. And when we turn to Genesis and to this passage, we see the beginnings of that as Satan and sin begin their work. His first part of deception was to present himself in a way that was not true. He pretended to be a friend of Eve. He came to her subtly, says the scripture, presenting himself really as her friend. Really all he wants to do is to have her have the good things of life. You know, did God say you can't have any of these things? Well, you really can. You deserve this. And after all, I just want you to have the best things in life. No, aren't you entitled to some of those things? And gee whiz, you know, I, I think you just ought to have some of these things. And he presents himself as, as a friend. Presents himself as someone who, or something that 
really desires that we have the best. And the second deception then, once that once this has come across and he's got Eve's attention and now now they're in the conversation. So the next thing he deceives her about is God's word. He said, Did God say plant a little seed of doubt here? Did God say, Well, yeah, God said and Satan said, But God doesn't mean it. See, God's word isn't really what you think it is. He would deceive her about the word of God. Now, God maybe said this, but God doesn't really mean this. Go ahead and do this. You're not going to die. No, God is not going to zap everybody every time they step out of line a little bit. You know, you've you got to think about this. God really wants you to stay in line. And what he really thinks is that if you do this, he's, he knows you're going to become like he is. You're going to know good and evil. So he deceives about the word of God. God doesn't mean what he says. And even though God says you're going to die, don't believe that because God isn't going to do that. God is just trying to scare you. So don't really pay any attention to that. Do just what you want to do. And the deception begins to grow further. But Eve is thinking, no, God did say this and he said, if we do this, we die. And the devil and sin then deceive her about God's judgment. Nah. You're not going to die. You know, God's not walking around here just looking to zap everybody that steps out of line. So go ahead and do it. You're not going to die. There aren't really any kind of real consequences to sin. Go ahead and do what you want. What's God going to do about it? What can he do about it? And the deception begins to work in the mind of Eve. It's a story that is familiar to us. It's the same thing that happens to us, lo, these many years later. Sin and Satan deceive us. Sin comes to us in the garb of something that is nice, that is attractive, that's going to be good for us. And I guess it has to be that way. You know, I'm not tempted to do anything that's going to hurt me. I'm not tempted to do something that I know is going to destroy me. I'm tempted to do the things that deceive me. The sins that come to me and whisper in my ear that really they're on my side. They're really just seeking my better good all the time. It's that kind of deception that begins to work in our minds when we look at the things that tempt us. That somehow, maybe God said we shouldn't, but maybe God didn't mean that. Maybe God isn't really going to do anything. Maybe God really doesn't care about a little sin here and a little sin there. Maybe God doesn't really mean that, so I can go ahead and do that. And besides, maybe, maybe deception says to us the consequences of sin aren't what we think it is. As I look around, you know, and I see my schoolmates, and they're doing all of these bad things, and nothing's happening to them. I see the people that I work with, nothing's happening to them. The neighbor down the road is certainly living a worse life than I'm living, and nothing is happening to him. So maybe maybe God's judgment is overplayed. Maybe there's not any real consequences to sin, and so maybe maybe I'll risk it. Maybe I'll try it. 
And that brings us to the second D. Deception has whispered in our ears, and it now meets with something inside of us. Desire. James hits it right on the head. He said, when each person is tempted, when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. You see, the fact is that we often want to do the very things that we're not supposed to do. Desire. We want it, even when it's forbidden. So desire meets with deception. Deception has spoken. Now desire rises to the surface within us, and we want whatever it is that tempts us. Eve wanted what she shouldn't have. She knew she shouldn't have it. Adam knew he shouldn't have it. But they both wanted it. They wanted that power. They wanted what it was that God had forbidden them. Now it seems like it's always true. Paul said one time that the law condemned him, made him sin. He had no sin till the law said, you can't do something. Then he discovered that that's just exactly what he wanted to do. And there's a little bit of that in all of us as well. I'm reminded the story of the mother who left her children one time, the older children, to go out and do some errands. And the last thing she did when she went out the door was to give them instructions. Don't put beans up your nose. Guess what kids did? Desire. If I can't have it, if it's forbidden, I want it. Desire meets with deception, and all of a sudden, we're over the edge. And it seems that way. It works all the way through Scripture. We read about David and Bathsheba. David looks out, sees Bathsheba bathing, lusts after her, wants her. After all, he's the king of Israel, the apple of God's eye. He ought to have what he wants when he wants it. And his desire meets with his deception, and he takes her and then has to commit murder to try to cover it up. Desire. And it's still true. It's still true that our desire is the thing that meets with the deception that gives birth to the sin as James points out in his book. Well, we talked with our kids over the years about drugs, about the things that go on in our schools. And we hear the same kind of story there. Now they're told, well, smoke a little pot. It won't hurt anything. Snort a little cocaine. You won't be the one to get addicted. Uh, All of these old fuddy-dudgies and religious fanatics... They're just filling your minds with a lot of stuff that isn't true because they don't want you to enjoy. So you really ought to try some of this stuff because, you know, this is really great stuff. And the deception speaks to them. And the desire is to be one of them, to enjoy the things. And if it's all that much fun and it's all that good and there are no consequences, then why not do it? And the deception meets with desire and they go over the edge. We live in a world that says these things, deceives us on every side, and meets with our desire. The sexual mores of this country have fallen to a new low. We're told, enjoy, do what you want. You won't catch AIDS. That's for other people. Other things won't happen. You desire it, do it. 
deception meets with our desire and we suddenly decide to do the third D disobedience we'll do it it's whispered in both of our ears now these little things on our shoulders and now we decide desire and deception have married one another and now they have conceived sin and sin is now to be born we will disobey James says desire when it has conceived gives birth to sin and sin when it is full grown brings forth death we will disobey we will do what it is that we want to do convinced maybe that nothing will really happen convinced that in our desire we are entitled to whatever it is that we want if we want it we ought to have it we're entitled to it everyone else is doing it it's going on all the way around us in the world so why don't we just do it and we do Eve did Adam did and from there on out we all did and when that happens when this disobedience takes place it gives birth to the final D that we're talking about death it does come Satan said it wouldn't but it did the moment Adam and Eve disobeyed the moment they partook of the fruit they died they died spiritually God walks in the garden and they no longer come out to meet him to share in fellowship because spiritually the relationship is broken they are dead to God they hide in the trees and the bushes they're no longer comfortable in God's presence now they're afraid they're afraid because they know they've sinned they know what God had said and now they hide and even then they are not willing to confess and to be honest with what it is that has happened where are you we're hiding why are you hiding because we partook of the free tree no we're hiding because we're naked you see not that we did anything wrong this is the way we are we're naked we don't have any clothes don't blame us God says you've eaten of the fruit of the tree and they had so now they are dead no longer do they have a spiritual relationship with God and it's not very long before we see that their fellowship with each other is also broken now they are dead to each other notice how quickly this happens in Genesis now God asks this question have you eaten of the fruit of the tree and what is it that Adam says Eve made me do it hey men have been doing this for years she made me do it it's all her fault all somebody else's fault and Eve takes a long look at that and says whoa 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 wait a minute not that it's the devil you see God if this devil hadn't been around here and all of these things happened I'd be alright it's not really my fault at all it's the devil's fault and all of a sudden their relationships are broken no longer do we see Adam and Eve happy in the garden now they're beginning to blame each other beginning to say it's each other's fault no the scripture doesn't say so but once in a while it's kind of fun to speculate I have a feeling that trouble came into Camelot precisely at this point in time 
And for the next few years before physical death finally did overcome them, they had to live together in the world. Well, now they're tossed out of the garden. You go out and read Genesis, and, and they're tossed out of the garden, and the curse is that, that they will they'll now get their bread and their living by the sweat of their brow, and thorns and briars will come up, and, and, and life is different. It's no longer paradise. Now we're, now we're out working. Now things are rough. And one can imagine that given what we've already seen in Genesis, that there are days when there is no happiness in Mr. Adam and Eve's home. I can visualize in my mind's eye Adam out in the field trying to bring forth fruit by the sweat of his brow. Comes in at night and he's tired and hungry, sweaty. He comes in and there's Eve and supper's not ready and the kids are screaming, carrying on and be a simple thing for Adam to say, boy, if you just kept your mouth shut when the devil said something, wouldn't be in this mess. I wouldn't be out here all day long sweating blood trying to get all of this stuff done. You know, it's, it's all your fault. If you'd have just tended to your P's and Q's, we wouldn't be in this mess. And I can see Eve coming right up out of the chair and say, hey, Jacko, hold on a second. Nobody twisted your arm. Who broke your arm to partake of this? You wanted it just as well as I do. Hey, don't dump your garbage on me, Adam. And one wonders, as the kids are screaming and the parents are fighting, how much they learn from one another in terms of fellowship and love and family. And one day it came true. They died physically as well. But the harm was done. Cain learned well from his parents. He killed his brother. And sin continued. And wouldn't it be a sad story if it ended there? But it doesn't. There's another D that follows death. And we might talk about defeating the progression of sin. When we took it, James in the fourth chapter. And James says in the fourth chapter, the ninth verse, Be wretched, mourn, weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to dejection. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. He's talking about repentance. He's talking about being sorry for our sins. He's talking about turning away and turning to Jesus Christ. Because that's exactly what God did. God bridged the brokenness that came with disobedience. Bridged it with His Son, Jesus Christ, who would live the perfect life and who would suffer the penalty of that death on the cross, that faith in Him might give us life. The relationship can be restored. We can once more walk with God. We can once more love each other and treat each other as decent human beings. There's an answer to all the terror, to all the hurt. There's an answer to man's inhumanity to man, but it doesn't lie in the heart of men. It lies in the hand of God. And when the last chapter of human history is written, it will not be written by men and their machines. 
but by the finger of Almighty God. God has come in Jesus Christ to mend that broken relationship, to restore us to fellowship with Him and with one another, to take away the penalty of death that we might live now and everlastingly in His kingdom. But while we are here, we face temptation. Every day, we will be tempted. Every day, Satan and sin will come to deceive us. And we have to resist. And James says now that we have the power to do so. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God, he says. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. We can do nothing by ourselves. In Christ, we can do all things. We can break the progression of temptation. We can defuse it in Jesus Christ before we take the final steps of disobedience. We can do so in the power of <coughs> excuse me, Jesus Christ. We will not be perfect. Never this side of heaven will we be sinless. But we can do a lot better than what we are doing now. And sometimes the best way of dealing with the temptations is to be aware of them. To know what they do and how they work and how they deceive us. When temptation comes, let's remember these four D's. Let's listen for the deception of Satan and sin. Let us look for the lie that's always there and to show that lie for what it is. Let us then look deep within our own soul and find there that our desire is not always for God and the things of God. And to deal with that desire in the strength of Jesus Christ. To avoid then the disobedient, to resist the devil. And to avoid the penalty of death. God has given us eternal life. He's given us hope. He's given us life. And it's ours if we will receive Christ as our Lord and Savior. If you're struggling with temptation as I struggle with temptation, if you fail as I fail, then I bid you join me in Christ. Join me in faith. Join me in the struggle. Join your others in worship as we are here this morning. Building one another up in our holy faith. Learn the word. Be faithful in season and out. And perhaps, just perhaps, that tomorrow, when temptation whispers in our ear, we will be able to say, in the name of Christ, we will break that progression. We will not sin. Let us pray. Oh, Holy Father, how we struggle with sin, the temptations that come, how subtle is Satan that works in our life, and we are helpless and hopeless. Helpless and hopeless till you come into our lives in your Son, Jesus Christ, until we turn to him and turn to the cross where he nailed our sin to die forever. And we pray, our God, that we may once more 
renew our commitment to Christ, renew our commitment to follow after him, to resist the sins that come to us, that we might honor and glorify him, not only here in this sanctuary, but as we go to our schools, as we go to our homes, our labor, our leisure, that in all ways we might gird one another up and break the progression of temptation. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.